0: All right, well this summer I have been preaching through a sermon series I've entitled Meeting Jesus, looking through the gospel of John at various interactions that people had with Jesus so that we could discover more of who Jesus is and what it means to know and follow him. And this Sunday we're going to be in John chapter 5, looking at the interaction between Jesus And a disabled man. And if you don't have a Bible, there are always Bibles in the back. You can grab one. Otherwise, they'll be up on the screen as well. So I'm going to begin just by reading the first seven verses of John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one who had been there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Let me just pause and explain that verse in case you're wondering what that meant. Uh, If you read the King James Version in verse 4, you find this This is a legend of what why they were at this specific pool. In verse 4, the King James Version, it says, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So there was this legend that at the pool of Bethesda, that every once in a while, the water would start to bubble, and then whoever was in the pool first would be healed. So that's what he's referring to there, this man who's been at the pool for 38 years saying, you know what, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is troubled. But today, everything changes for this man. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, please open our ears and open our hearts to hear and to understand what it is that your spirit wants to say to us through this word. Help us to be willing to follow you wherever you lead. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So quick summary, this uh, disabled man has been coming to this pool at Bethesda for 38 years, hoping that he would be healed, but after 38 years he has not been healed. Jesus shows up, picks this guy out of the crowd, tells him to get up to pick up his mat and walk. The man does that and immediately gets in trouble with the religious leaders for working on the Sabbath because they think carrying a mat on the Sabbath is work, and so they're ready to persecute this man, and they want to know who healed him and who told him he could do this. And the guy doesn't know who it is, but eventually Jesus shows himself to the man, says, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. And then the man goes to the religious leaders and says, oh, it was that guy, that Jesus guy. He's the one who healed me, and now Jesus gets in trouble. For not only breaking the Sabbath, but for making himself equal to God by claiming that God is his Father. And so this morning, what I want to do is just first of all make an observation about healing. And then I want to focus on verse 6, where he asked the man, do you want to get well? First of all, let's talk about healing. Because you might notice there was a number of people who were disabled there at the pool of Bethesda. But Jesus, it seems, only heals one of them, right? He singles out this one man and he heals him, leaving the rest of the disabled men there. Jesus doesn't heal every single person there. And not only does he not heal every person there, I would guess from what we read there that the man he chose to heal was not even a very worthy candidate. I mean, he doesn't bother to get the name of the person who just changed his life. And then once he finds out who he is, he turns him into the authority, saying, oh, it's that guy. You know, that's the guy who did it so that they can persecute Jesus. It seems like the guy that he chose to heal isn't even a very worthy candidate, but Jesus heals him anyway. And you might find it confusing. Why does Jesus, when faced with this crowd of disabled men, not just say, pick up your mat, pick up your mat, you're healed, and you're healed, and you're healed, but he just chooses one man, heals him, and leaves the rest of them there? And not only you know, back 2,000 years ago, but today, and some of you may wonder, why is it you know, that, that you have 100 people who pray, and maybe one gets healed, maybe two get healed, and many others don't get healed of whatever it is they're asking God fervently you know, to pray, to heal why is it that God chooses to heal some and not others? Why is it that Jesus healed this one man and then left the rest of them at the pool? It doesn't seem like there's any formula, does it? Where you know that if you follow these prescriptions, then you're going to get healed. We find out one clue, I would say, in verse 14. When Jesus finds the man again, he says, Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So according to Jesus, being disabled for 38 years is not the worst thing that can happen to a person. Right? He's saying, yeah, you've been disabled for 38 years, but if you don't stop sinning, something worse than being disabled for 38 years is going to happen to you. And there's a clue there that the reason Jesus came was not just to heal every disease. And the reason that Jesus... You know, what God is up to today is not just to heal every person's disease. There's something deeper going on that he needs to do in people's lives. Consider a similar account, Mark 1, 32 to 38. That evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you! Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. See what happens there? Jesus heals a bunch of people. The next morning, he goes off to pray. Simon and all the Disciples go to find him because apparently the whole crowd is gathering because they want more healing. And Jesus says in response, Let's go somewhere else. Let's leave this crowd, this whole crowd that's gathered wanting to be healed. Let's leave them and go somewhere else. Why? To preach because that is why I have come. So, evidently, the healing of the body is not Jesus' primary purpose. His primary purpose is not just to heal every single person of their diseases. Because after all, healing someone's body might preserve their life for a few more years. But he's after something that's going to preserve your life for eternity, right? He's after the salvation of your soul, not just the healing of your body. That's why he's come, he says. I have come not just to heal people of their diseases, but to preach the good news that people might have eternal life that death might not be the end for them. We looked at this passage a couple weeks ago, John three sixteen eighteen. 18. Why did he come? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So why did Jesus come into the world according to this? To save the world, not just to heal diseases, but to save people of their sins, to offer them eternal life, that they'd no longer be under the condemnation of God, that their sins would be forgiven. That's God's priority. That was Jesus' priority. Salvation of your soul from eternal damnation, from eternal separation from God. Not just the healing of disease, not just the, you know, removal of suffering in this world. And here's the important thing then, right? That means that sometimes saving your soul is going to mean not healing you physically. Right? Sometimes healing your soul, saving your soul is going to mean not taking away suffering. Not healing your disease, not making everything go well in your life. Sometimes in order to save your soul, God has to allow terrible things to happen in your life, to wake you up to your need for him, to your need for a savior. I would guess for many of you who know God, you look back at your life, and it probably was for many of you, something difficult that came into your life that woke you up to your need for God, that led you to him. I know that's the way it was for me. Often it is the pain and suffering that wakes us up to our need for God. His primary purpose is not just healing every disease and making everything easy and comfortable. His primary purpose is to save your soul, to remove sin, the thing that can kill your soul eternally from you. One of the best talks I ever heard on this subject was by a Christian woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you are familiar with her. She's a quadriplegic, uh, was paralyzed in a a swimming accident when she dove into a shallow end of a pool. Incredible woman and she in one talk she gave she put it this way she said the same god who healed blind eyes and withered hands also said gouge out your eyes and cut off your hand if it leads you into sin the second part of that is from the sermon on the mount where jesus is saying that's how seriously you're supposed to take sin and hell that if your eye leads you into sin gouge it out if your hand leads you into sin cut it off i love this point she's making The same God who healed also said it's better to not be healed than be able to see and have both hands and end up in hell. That's God's primary purpose in your life, is to save your soul, to remove the sin that can kill you. And sometimes that is going to mean not healing you. Sometimes that's going to mean allowing suffering. That's why, again, we read in verse 14, Jesus says, To this man, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. If you are not physically healed this side of heaven, if God has said no to your answer to remove suffering, to relieve pain, it's not because he does not love you. It's because he has a deeper work that he wants to do in your life to remove sin. And sometimes he allows us to experience really difficult things and doesn't remove them. Because that's his primary purpose, to save our souls. So now let's go back to verse 6. When Jesus saw this man lying and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? The man in response says this, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. At first glance, I think it might seem like an odd question for Jesus to ask, right? He comes up to this man who's been disabled for 38 years, and he asks him, do you want to get well? Well, you know, yeah, Jesus, I'm not here just for the community. I'm here because I want to get well. It seems like an odd question at first. But then again, you know, this man has been in this condition for 38 years, and maybe Maybe he's okay with it. Maybe at this point in his life, he's not really interested in getting up and having to walk and take on responsibility and get a job and all of that. Maybe he's okay with just being laid there every day for 38 years. Maybe he doesn't necessarily want to get well. Maybe he doesn't want Jesus to come and change his circumstances. So this morning, I want you to consider this question in bold font up there. Ready? Do you want to get well? And when I'm asking you this question, I'm not just asking you this physically. I'm asking this question in other areas of your life and discipleship. I believe that Jesus has the power to heal, not just physically I'm talking about, but emotionally, psychologically, relationally, that Jesus has the power to heal. But do you want to get well? And I'm not talking here about some Man-centered, name it, claim it, prosperity, gospel. I'm not talking about that, you know, where God is some heavenly ATM. And if you could figure out the code, then it unlocks, you know, just every type of healing. I'm not talking about that at all. I don't believe in that. But I believe that there's deeper healing that God wants to do in each one of your lives. And this morning, I want you to wrestle with this question. Do you want to get well? I'm talking about what Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. Do you want that or not? Do you want to get well? Do you want life to the full? Do you want that spring of living water welling up inside of you to eternal life? Do you want to be led out of sin and slavery to a life of wholeness and joy and peace and purpose? Shalom. Shalom. Do you want to get well? I believe there is so much life that Jesus has for you, that God has in store for you, but He's asking you whether you want it or not. Do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Let me throw out some possible areas for you to consider. Do you want to be physically healthy? Do you want to be physically healthy if it's going to involve a sacrifice in what you eat? Or a sacrifice of time in exercise? Maybe you say, yeah, I want, to be, I want to be well physically, but it's going to involve a change in your diet, saying no to things that you love, or just stop turning to food when you're anxious or depressed and turn to God instead. So maybe while you say, yeah, I want to be physically healthy, do you really want to get well? Do you really want to be physically healthy, or do you prefer to stay where you are? What about relational health? Some of you say, you know, I wish my relationships were more healthy. I wish I had a better relationship with my wife, with my kids, with my parents, with my siblings, with my friends. I wish I had a better relationship. But do you really want that if it's going to involve some uncomfortable things? If it's going to involve maybe forgiving someone for what they've done to you. Confronting someone for what they're doing to you. How they're treating you. Do you really want to get well if it's going to mean investing in counseling? Spending more quality time with the person. Asking hard questions of them. Revealing intimate, sensitive details about your life. Having honest, heart-to-heart conversations with them. Maybe that scares you. and Maybe you're like, you know, yeah, I wish we had a deeper relationship, but... I don't know, it kind of scares me, the whole journey to get there. Maybe you prefer to just keep people at a safe distance, keep things the way that they are. Maybe, just maybe you've got an addiction or two in your life that's really hurting you. You're struggling with drinking or eating too much, pornography, overspending. Whatever it is, you found something that you can turn to, to escape the the anxiety, the stress, the boredom of this world, and find solace there. But it's become unhealthy. It's become destructive in your life. It's got you enslaved, and you just can't seem to escape it. And you know that God offers you healing, freedom from that addiction. And you say you want to be clean. You say you want to be healthy. You say you want to be well. But do you really want to be healed? if you're honest with yourself, do you really want that taken out of your life? Or would you prefer to keep it there just in case? Just in case you need that escape from the pain, the boredom, the anxiety of this life. Okay, maybe you've got some personal issues that you're wrestling with that have been keeping you from living life to the fullest. They've been keeping you from the life that God has for you. You know that you've got patterns of thought or behavior that are hurting you and hurting others that you love. Or you have unhealthy fears in your life, fears of failure, rejection, intimacy, things that you just can't seem to get past. You've got pain from your past that just keeps you from becoming the person that God has created you to be, from becoming well. You know you probably need to talk with someone, you probably need to work through that. Maybe you've got a terrible temper that you just can't seem to tame unhealthy obsessions that get in the way. And you say you want to get past that. You say you don't want to deal with that anymore. But do you really want to get healed if it's going to involve revisiting past painful experiences in your life? If it means leaving what you know and venturing out into the unknown? Do you really want to get well? Or would you prefer to stay stuck in the comfortable dysfunction? What about your relationship with God? You hear that, John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life to the fullest. Life abundant. A life of purpose and meaning and joy and peace and all of that. But do you really want that? If it's going to mean denying yourself, taking up your cross and following him. If it's going to mean sacrificing things that you love and want, leaving the comfortable, venturing out into the unknown to follow after God wherever He leads? Do you really want that? I hope you're hearing and understanding what I'm getting at this morning that God is often asking us, whether aware of it or not, do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Do you really want the eternal life, the life to the full that I have to offer you or not? In some sense, that's what discipleship is. It's an invitation to that kind of life, to wholeness, to health. But the answer is not always as simple as, yes, that's what I want, you know? Because it's gonna involve leaving what's comfortable and venturing out into the unknown, following God, not knowing where he's leading, trusting that what's on the other side is gonna be better than where you're currently at. makes me think of the Israelites in the desert after God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. They've left slavery. They're on their way through the wilderness to the promised land that God has for them. And many, many times they grumbled against God and against Moses. For example, Exodus 16, 2-3, they said, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Again, it seems ridiculous when you look back. Like, okay, they were in slavery in Egypt, backbreaking labor. God rescues them miraculously, brings them out into the wilderness, on the way to the promised land. And again, and then they are complaining, saying, oh, if only we could go back to Egypt, it was so much better there. And you say, what are they thinking But, you know, maybe, just maybe, you can relate more than you know. Yeah, life in Egypt might have been miserable, but at least it was predictable. You know, at least there was a routine. At least things felt normal. Now we're just out in the desert. We're out in the wilderness. We're not sure where our next meal is coming from. We're not sure about this God and where he's leading us and this Moses and where we're going. We're just not sure. There's danger at night. There's danger all around us. I just wish we could go back where it was comfortable. The predictable misery of being imprisoned sometimes feels safer than the terror of the unknown and the weight of responsibility that comes along with freedom. So, do you really want to get well or not? Do you really want freedom or not? Do you really want wholeness or not? Or would you prefer to stay in your predictable misery? Would you prefer to be a slave over facing the unknown of following God wherever he's leading you on the way to this promised land? Now, to be honest, the answer is not an easy black-and-white answer, okay? I just want to be honest. For those of you who are like, I don't know, yes. No, it's not a black-and-white answer. There's parts of us that say yes. There's part of us, I believe, that say, yes, I want to be healthy, I want a better relationship. I want to be physically fit. I want to follow God. I want to grow past my weaknesses. I want to get past the obstacles. Yes, there's part of me that just says, yes, sign me up, amen, I trust you, God. And then there's part of us that says, no, I'm scared. I'm afraid. I don't want to go there. I want to stay where I'm comfortable, even if it's miserable. It's like St. Augustine put it this way. He said, Lord, make me chaste, which means sexually pure, but not yet. That's often how we are. Part of us says yes with all our hearts, and part of us says no with all our hearts. If I can get real honest with you for a minute, I have parts inside of me that are at war with each other, and I've struggled with this over the last year. There's one part of me that wants nothing more than to give myself fully to God. 1 Corinthians 15-58 is the verse that speaks to me more than any other. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. And I hear that, and part of my heart says, That's me. More than anything else, God, I want to give myself fully to you. That is where bliss would be found. In getting through a day and knowing that I gave myself fully to the work you had for me. And then there's another part of my heart that wants nothing more than to do nothing all day. That thinks that bliss would be found in just absolutely doing nothing. No responsibility. No work. Just everyone out of my hair. Just me being alone, doing whatever it is I please. And I've got these parts warring inside of me. The part that says, "Yes, God, I want you. I want to follow you." And the other part that says, "No, I don't. I want to stay comfortable." And over the past years I've tried to kind of look deeper at that. I've come to realize that I think where that comes from is that in deep down in places that I'm afraid to look at, that I'm afraid of being a failure. That I am afraid that people will realize that I'm a failure, that I'm not capable that I don't measure up. And I've come to realize that as long as I have excuses, that I'll never feel like a failure. Because after all, you know, I would have succeeded if I didn't have to do that. I would, I would totally would have been a, a success if I didn't have to spend my time doing that, if I hadn't been derailed by that, if these things hadn't come in my way. As long as I have my excuses then I won't have to worry about feeling like a failure. But if all those excuses were gone and I truly gave myself fully to God and then I failed, then I'd have no excuses. I'd be revealed for the failure that I am. And so as I took this time to really delve down what's going on underneath all of this, I came to realize that that's what's going on. Deep at a heart level, there is this fear of failure that I do not believe what God says about me. That my self-worth is not a matter of my performance. It's not a matter of how good or bad I do or what people think of me. That he has already declared me to be his beloved son who he loves and whom he's well-pleased because I'm in Jesus and nothing can change that. And so I can give myself fully to God. I don't need to spend time wasting time just so I have excuses So when God comes to me and asks me, do you want to get well, Eric? Do you really want to get rid of the distractions and the procrastination, the obstacles, and give yourself fully to me? And if I'm honest then, part of me says I'm not sure. Part of me says yes, and part of me says no, because what would happen if I gave myself fully and I failed? Part of me says sign me up, God. I want to go after you with all I am. And part of me, like a scared little child, shakes its head and says, no, I don't want to be healed. I want to keep lying here by the pool, making excuses for why I can't get down into the water to get healed until the day I die. Makes me think of Mark 9, 24. The father who says to Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. He got it, right? Part of me believes, part of me does not. Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So what do we do about our divided selves? What do we do about our divided hearts that say, yeah, I want to get well, but not now, not yet. I'm not ready. I don't want it. I could just tell you, you know, this morning, tell God, yes. Tell him, yes, that you want to be healed. But if it was as simple as willpower, as simple as that, we'd all be healed, right? It's just not that simple. We need God to heal that part of us that doesn't want to be healed, to meet us on a heart level. It's not just about, you know, in my case, finding the right systems and accountability. It's a heart-level thing that God needs to heal. Three things in particular I just want to share with you this morning to your heart, the parts of your heart that are scared, that are afraid, that run away and don't want to become well. The first thing I want to tell you is this, that God will never leave you nor forsake you, but will be your help and your strength. God will never leave you, He'll never forsake you. He'll be your, health and your help and your strength. Hebrews thirteen five to 6, he's talking in the context of money, but he says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So this morning, as you make that decision, God willing, to leave slavery behind, to follow God through the wilderness the terror of the unknown, towards the promised land, I want your heart to know that God will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, that he is there with you, guiding you, protecting you, leading you to the promised land. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus will never let you go. Do you believe that this morning? I'm speaking to that part of your heart that's afraid. You don't need to be afraid. He'll never let you go. He's with you, He will never leave or forsake you. Second thing your heart needs to hear is this God is good, and He loves you perfectly. God is good, He loves you perfectly. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? When you look to the cross, you see that God gave you his son. He gave you his very best. And so if you're afraid that he won't provide and give you what you need, remind yourself he gave you his son. He'll give you what you need. If he gave you his son when you were his enemy... Then, now that you're his beloved son or daughter, he will give you what it is that you need. He's got good plans for you. He's always working things together for your good. You can trust him. Because of his death for your sins, now he sees you as his perfect beloved child. So, even if others reject you, even if others judge you, he doesn't reject you, he doesn't judge you. He loves you perfectly. He's well-pleased with you. Nothing can change that reality. Again, on that road out of slavery through the wilderness to the promised land, even if it's painful, trust that he's good. He loves you perfectly. He's leading you to a better place. third thing I want your heart to know is this. Life to the fullest is found in knowing God. It's not found in slavery, even if it's predictable. Life to the fullest is not found in Egypt. It's not found in staying in your sin, your addictions, your fears, your anxieties, your unforgiveness, your bitterness, any of that. Life to the full is found in knowing God. John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The devil's a liar. Fear is a liar. The enemy's a master at scaring you into disobedience, into giving up, Right? You say, yes, God, I'm following you. And then comes fear, like a wave, a tidal wave. It knocks you down. And you're like, never mind, I'm going back to bed. Never mind, I'm going back to the comfortable. Never mind, I'm going back to what I know will soothe me. Fear's a liar. The enemy's a liar. Jesus has come that you might have life to the fullest. There's nothing you can give up that God won't replace with something better. Do you understand that? There's nothing you can give up that God won't replace with something better, whether it's in this life or in eternity. That was at the heart of Peter's fears. Peter said to Jesus, we've left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. There's nothing he can't call you to give up that he won't replace with more, with something better. I mean, even the the smallest things I've mentioned, like, you know, I love to travel, but knowing that following God might mean not spending money on travel means, you know what? Someday, when God has recreated this world, and this is the new heavens, the new earth, I have a feeling that this world will make every beautiful thing this side of heaven pale in comparison, you know? It's going to look like a dump compared to what God has in store for us. And so if he calls me to say no to things of this earth, to follow him and to give myself for him, I can be confident that he's got so much more in store for me. Isaiah 55, 2-3, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. So again, I'm speaking to the the, the fearful parts of your heart, the parts that say, no, I don't want to follow you, God. No, I don't want to be well. No, I don't want to be healed. Hear this. God loves you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's going to protect you. He's going to walk with you. He's leading you to a better place in him is found life to the fullest. It's better than the slavery in which you're currently living. After the disabled man answers Jesus, in verse eight and nine it says, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. So we were dealing on a heart level, but now I just want to ask you from a, an action level. What's it going to look like for you to get up, pick up your mat, and walk? What's it going to look like for you this morning to take a step and follow Jesus in faith? What is the action he's calling you to? You know, if your heart comes to trust, I believe, help my unbelief, and wants to follow him, and wants to be healed, and wants to be well, what is it going to look like? What's the next action for you to take? Maybe it is to share with a friend What it is he's calling you to. Someone who can pray for you. Someone who can hold you accountable to what God has revealed to you. Maybe it's to seek out a counselor, an older, wiser believer to help walk you through from slavery to the promised land. Maybe picking up your mat is going to mean extending forgiveness to someone who's hurt you so you might move past the bitterness. Maybe it's going to mean dumping out the alcohol or handing over the credit cards or taking a step to take care of your physical health. Maybe it's just to respond in faith this morning and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just to start there. The question is, do you want to get well? You know, Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I at work, am working. And God is still at work, amen? Jesus is still working this morning. He's at work in this place, in your heart. He's calling you to him. How can you respond to him? Let's pray by, let's close by praying this. God, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I believe that you are good, that you love me, that you will never leave me, that life to the fullest is found in obeying you, and that you can strengthen me for whatever you are calling me to do today. Speak your truth to the part of me that still has doubts and fears. Give me the strength and courage to pick up my mat and walk, to leave my old way of living behind, and follow you into the life to the full that you have for me. Amen.